Hello, everybody. This is David Goldsmith, and welcome to the Age of Infinite. We are a Project Moon Hut podcast series, and our desired outcome is to create self a sustainable life on the moon, not self-sustaining life on the moon, through the acceleration of a space-based ecosystem, which includes Earth and within space. And the desired outcome is to change the world in which we live, to create a different environment through the opportunities that we pull together. We have an amazing person on the line, Kirby Eichen. How are you, Kirby? Uh, not too bad, thanks, David. Not too bad. I'm hoping that you'd be amazing today. Yeah, a little uh, thing called the flu. A little thing called the flu. We actually had to move this podcast uh, a week out because last week Kirby was incapacitated. The topic, the title that we're going to be covering today is called uh, Insurance, an Incredibly Powerful Tool in Unlocking the Space Frontier. And let me give you a very short history on Kirby or the relationship that Kirby and I have. He is the president of the National Space Society, and he's been in the space industry over 30 years. Last year during a, an event, Kirby gave an amazing presentation. Uh, I was in the back, so I didn't hear everything. I heard some tidbits of things that he had brought up. And I knew that it would be something valuable for people interested in the space industry because I had never heard about anything he spoke about in three and a half years. So uh, we brought Kirby on the line today. He's out of Australia, so that's not just the flu. It's actually an accent. Oh, at least we all have accents, but that's it's an accent. So, uh, Kirby, uh, you've got some bullet points or an outline or something we're going to follow today. Can you share that with me? Yes, thanks. Thanks a lot, David. Uh, I guess one of the key things here is to be looking at insurance through a different lens, uh, to look at it as a financial tool, not just a necessary evil. So that's kind of one of the fundamentals. Then also uh, to talk a bit about what is the essence of insurance. It's something that, again, not a lot of people uh, fully understand. They think about, for example, insuring their car rather than the consequences that, that happen if their car breaks down or is, is in an accident. Uh, another key thing is really, again, understanding two things that insurance is about, exposure and phases of risk. Again, those things can differ from uh, time to time. So we're trying to understand sort of what those exposures are at different points in time. Uh, then I'd really like to, to look at the more um, interesting ways that we can use insurance. So, for example, uh, we need to understand who the stakeholders are that might be affected by insurance. And there, there are a variety of people who have a stake in the success of a space business. Um, that can be shareholders, it can be the staff, customers, etc. So trying to grasp uh, all of the different people that need to be taken into consideration, which then leads into the subject of uh, using insurance as a financial tool, using it to help start up a space business and trying to look at the kind of uh, risks, the kind of things that maybe stop customers from signing on board. If you can address those things, that will be very beneficial to getting your business started. And then finally, probably looking at insurance to cover off certain milestones. Um, so the whole process is really about 
taking a different look at how you can use insurance to get your business going, not just to keep it in business. Okay. <clears throat> Again, I, I'm, I'm excited because I know some tidbits here and I'm hoping they, they're exactly what I heard uh, over a year ago. So let's start with the first one. Uh, looking at insurance through a different lens. What does that mean? Where, where, what do I need to know? What are you going to teach me today? Well, I think the first thing is that most people, uh, very few people get excited about insurance. And for most people, it is a necessary evil. And it's something that they think of very late in the piece. It's sort of an afterthought, uh, especially when we're looking in the context of a business and establishing a space business, whatever that might be, whether it's a satellite company, a, an asteroid mining company, moon mining, whatever it may be, insurance tends to be the last thing that people think about. Yet what I'm encouraging people to do is to realize that insurance is actually a financial tool and you can use it intelligently to try to minimize risks to the business that actually allow the business to get started. And so you really want to be thinking about that early in the piece rather than at the end of the process. Well, but to get someone, I mean, to get myself or someone to be thinking differently about insurance, the, the afterthought is potentially because there are so many other activities someone has to engage in to get a business started that this is just one of those get a ducks in a row type thing. That's certainly true. Uh, what I found is that when I talk to people directly in the context of whatever their particular space business is, uh, they do tend to be, uh, they have their eyes opened when you discuss the insurance from a different perspective. So if I can give you an example, I was talking with a company that's proposing a fleet of satellites and it came down to, it's a fairly typical startup type business. You've got to raise some money you'll put up some demonstration satellites, you hope that they work. If they work, then you try to sign on some early customers and you raise some more money and then you sign up the big customers. So I started to say to them, well, so what exactly is it in that whole process that stops your customers from signing up now? Um, and you work backwards and you say, well, maybe my system won't work as I've said it will work. Well, that's an insurable risk. That's something that you can lock in by means of an insurance policy. And the advantage of that is that if you have customers and you have locked in contracts, it makes it a whole lot easier to go out and raise money for your venture. So it's almost like thinking in reverse, <clears throat> trying to get back to your starting point to make that as simple as possible. So that's really what I'm saying. In. Where did this, just the historical piece, how did you find there, discover this as a means of, for example, selling or a tool in this way? And I know, I know there's more we want to cover, but you're, I've been, I've been in business a long time and I, I hate to use that term, but I've been in business a long time and salespeople or insurance people sell the same way. What was your eye-opening experience that changed the way you looked at? selling think, insurance or offering insurance? I think for me, it was a bit of a convergence of different roles that I held. And uh, I would just correct a point earlier. I'm actually not the president of the National Space Society, but I'm the chairman of the board. 
And so it was oh, in yes. that that role. Sorry. Uh, I was I was an advocate for space exploration and development, the settlement of space, and I was always looking at what I could do to facilitate uh, commercial space enterprise. Principally, at the same time, I was involved in the space insurance business. I was a space insurance underwriter, so I was looking at what I could do to help those companies through my <coughs> insurance background to get into business. But I was also oh. a business person. Um, that's, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I, I have a law degree and a commerce degree in accounting and financial management. So I've always looked at the world through the eyes of a business person. And so to me, it was like, like trying to understand what are the issues that stop a particular business from getting started, if I can put it that way. And if yep. I can go back to another example, and um, we may have spoken about this before, but I worked at a particular launch services company, and we were trying to understand how to get into business. It required the actual uh, development of the launch facility, the development of the launch vehicle, and we needed to raise quite a bit of money to get that business started. So I was sitting there thinking, okay, we need to sign up some launch contracts uh, further in advance than you would normally do. And I said to myself, well, okay, what exactly is it about that scenario that stops uh, the customer from signing up? Now, it might be that you don't complete your development of the spaceport in time, don't complete development of the launch vehicle. All of those were risks that we could remove by having a particular type of insurance program behind us. And ultimately, we got to the end of all of that where I'd said, well, we could move your launch contract to another launch service provider. We could cover the costs of maybe any uh, changes to the satellite that has to go on for a different launch vehicle. We could cover all of those costs. And then ultimately, I added on top of that, well, not only will you not pay us if we don't deliver, but we'll pay you if we don't deliver. And that was all an insurable layer of risk. And I talked to a particular satellite operator after I'd left this company, and they confirmed that when we went through all of these um, different risks that we had to mitigate from the customer's point of view, uh, that they would have been prepared to sign a launch contract. And that would have been a huge difference to the venture, uh, raising money with launch contracts versus raising money without launch contracts. So it was really through the process of being in business and trying to help companies resolve issues that were stopping them from getting into business. Okay. So it, it seems like we're, we're touching on this, this, the essence of insurance and going a little bit into exposure and phases of risk. So why don't we uh, switch to those? What did you want to, what should we know about the essence of insurance? Well, I think, as I said before, the, the typical viewpoint of insurance is, uh, if you use the more personal example, it's I'm insuring my home or I'm insuring my car. And when you translate that into the space industry, people tend to think, well, we're insuring the satellite. <clears throat> in fact, that's not really what the insurance is about. In its most fundamental sense, it's about placing the insured party back into the position that they would have been in if the relevant event did not occur. And that actually 
recasts the situation quite a bit. Uh, very many people do not really think about uh, all the different exposures that they have. Uh, they, and that's a fairly natural thing. It's a risk management person who probably sits down and thinks through the real details of what consequences there might be for a business if something happens. So if you take a fairly simple example, let's take a conventional communication satellite being launched on a launch vehicle. And this really comes to the next point of understanding the two key aspects of exposure during different phases of risk. So in a conventional scenario, you've bought a communication satellite. It's probably taken 18 months, 24 months to be built. Um, it's going to have that fiery ride to orbit for uh, a short period of time. And then hopefully it's going to operate in orbit for maybe 15 years afterwards. There are all sorts of different consequences that, uh, that go with uh, the different phases of that risk. And it really goes from the moment that the satellite is being built, transported, and riding to orbit. So it might be, for example, that uh, you have uh, a reflight guarantee during, <clears throat> excuse me, during the <clears throat> phase of flight, meaning that if the launch vehicle fails, the launch service provider will give you a free ride. So during that phase of the risk, you're actually only exposed for the cost of replacing the satellite and any other consequential losses. However, once the launch flight is over, then if your satellite fails, then you've got to pay for the price of a launch and you've got to pay for the price of a satellite and so on. So the people need to understand that it, it's a changing thing and you've also got to bear in mind that it's about, again, putting you into the position you would have been in if you didn't suffer the loss or the failure. So for example, as I've said, if you've, got, you've contracted for a satellite for two years in advance of its launch, the market conditions may well have changed quite substantially in two years. You may be trying to beat a particular competitor to a particular market, and then suddenly your satellite's gone, and it's going to take you maybe another two years to launch a replacement. Your business has to keep going on for that time. You've got to be paying your staff. Uh, you may have lost market share, or it may be harder to get into that market. It may suddenly present other threats to your business, it might be harder to, to raise new debt or it may be more expensive if you have to go and get new capital uh, to keep your business running. So it's about understanding all of those different dimensions, what's going to happen as a consequence of something failing, not just replacing the satellite. Hmm. <clears throat> so you're each through each phase you're analyzing what are the as an insurance company you're analyzing what are the possibilities of this happening and uh and and calculating that financial burden on the insurance company and then at the same time you're calculating okay will we cover this individual for a reflight guarantee well what is their exposure for what they're doing and what's that valuation? So if it's $2 million and $2 million, we'll give you a policy for X, 
to cover your $2 million launch if, in fact, there's a problem on X portion of the, the process of getting this, this to space? Yes, let me give you another example. Uh, working with a company that's developing uh, technologies for small satellites, but also wanting to, um, to take that technology uh, and apply it to different sort of uh, missions. Now, it's very important for them as they fly their spacecraft to, to be able to test, say, communications, equipment, navigation, thrusters, uh, whatever it might be. If the launch fails, for example, well, it hasn't reflected anything on the quality of their products because the satellite never got to work. Um, if they then are testing those technologies that they want to sell to other people and they don't work, well, not only have you not proven that it works, but you've actually proven that it doesn't work. So um, <clears throat> it changes the opinion of other people around you and that potentially affects future sales. Um, and, and so there's, there can be impacts on the business going well beyond simply reflying the particular mission. It just sounds so ominous to try to figure out all of those calculations. To, I mean, I, I'm sorry I'm, I'm saying this in the way I am. I haven't met many insurance individuals who understand the full gamut of this type of implication to bring me back to, as you say, as if this had not occurred or to make it so that we're whole again and can continue on operations? Well, I guess, first of all, I've, I'm, I'm a little bit unique in the sense of the different components to my background as a space advocate, as a former space, or as a space insurance person, and as a business person. So I'm looking at it through that lens. Now, engineers, for example, probably look at it in a different way. My focus has always been on what do we have to do to get this business started and to keep it functioning and operating successfully and profitably and um, to not expose its uh, stakeholders to any kind of unnecessary risk. So it is true to say, and as I, I think I mentioned earlier, when I speak to space companies about this, there's kind of like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I had never thought about it like that. Well, that's not an unreasonable or, or unexpected kind of uh, reaction because it isn't the kind of thing that most people think about and the and the space industry also tends to be a bit more dominated by people with a technological uh, or scientific type or engineering type um, background or, or interest or understanding I mean frankly a lot of us get excited about space partly because of the technology but when you are trying to run a business, and this comes back to the issue of a in-space economy that, that implies commerce, um, you need to be thinking about the mechanisms that will make that economy work successfully, and that means businesses that succeed and thrive, but even before that, that actually get off the ground. Pardon the pun. No, no. Yes, well, there's, I find that in space, in the space industry, again, it's only been three and a half years, there are so many puns that you can use because getting off the ground and, you know, burn or there's just so many of them that it's it's kind of hard to avoid them. So with the, you had in here exposure and phases of risk. 
is there are there any specific tools or or uh, items that we should know about to understand how to be able to address exposure levels or exposure and what it means or phases of risk and what they what they mean? Yes. Yeah, so let, let's perhaps first of all look at the phases of risk. And again, there is often an emphasis on the the most visible part of it, which is the rocket ride to orbit and <clears throat> potentially the satellite. Uh, working in orbit. Everybody visualizes that. But in fact, if you are looking at this from the perspective of a commercial space business, and again, I use the satellite example as the simplest and the best known, but we are moving into an era of vastly different future activities. So that will be activity that includes in-orbit manufacturing, commercial uh, in-orbit habitats, asteroid mining, uh, lunar mining, uh, delivery of services of, of equipment, not just to space, but to the moon, to the lunar surface. So there's a whole new gamut of activity that's coming. But let me use the satellite example um, being the most well-known. So it really begins with the manufacturing and testing of the satellite. So the satellite will be under development perhaps for 18 months or so, It'll be in the satellite manufacturer's plant. It'll be tested. And accidents happen even in the manufacturing process. Uh, equipment does sometimes bump a satellite doing damage. And that, that not only has a physical um, impact and a cost, but it, that also introduces a delay. And delay is something that has a financial impact on a space business. Then you're, you're physically transporting the satellite to the launch site. So that's really a kind of cargo-type risk, um, but things happen. Uh, trucks crash, planes have problems, uh, all sorts of things like that can happen. Then you've got integration and testing at the launch site. Now, I, I don't wish to point fingers at any particular companies here, but there was a very uh, <laughs> explosive example only about a year ago where a satellite uh, was destroyed on the launch pad during an engine test. And that's not, that's a different type of launching, that's not your launch insurance, that's another phase of risk. So the satellite was exposed during the testing phase and ultimately the satellite was lost in an explosion. Then you have traditional launch, um, that's very simple, then what we would call the in-orbit commissioning. That's where the satellite is tested to make sure that it's actually functioning correctly. Then it has its in-orbit life, uh, which may be 15 years for a big satellite, and ultimately decommissioning, and this is a bit more of an issue that people prefer to have the satellite moved out of uh, the, the revenue-generating orbital slots to move it somewhere where it's not going to interfere with anything else. And then, of course, you've also got to remember throughout this whole process, there's third-party liability, somebody who's not involved in, in the actual space business, but who is affected, say, if there's a launch failure and debris rains down on somebody or somewhere. So as you can see, there's actually a lot of phases of risk there where there are different, uh, different consequences that flow from something happening at each of those stages. For example, let's say the satellite fails after 13 years in orbit. Well, that has a minimal kind of impact versus if the satellite fails in the first year. 
or worse still if it never gets to orbit. So it's a question of understanding the consequences at each point along the way. I, you know, as I'm as you're talking, I'm saying to myself, for Project Moon Hut, I think would be an interesting tool to break down the possi- the, the the phases into as many as there possibly can be. So a person who's entering into Project Moon Hut and says, I would like to start, <clears throat> or someone who's been engaged in business for a while, hasn't heard anything about this, we can deliver them a tool saying, these are the, the phases of development, as well as the risk exposures that you could be looking at. So I'm trying to think of a way in which we can help uh, visitors and, and people interested in the space industry around the globe to understand the different types of tools that are available or different types of phases, therefore developing tools and, and opportunities that they wouldn't have thought of otherwise, because I never thought about them in the way in which you just described them. As much as I, I, I mean, I could easily have done it. I just had never done that before. So that was a, an interesting little exercise in my own head. I think when you talk about Project Moon Hut and the larger vision of an economy in space, one of the problems that the industry kind of struggles with uh, is putting that end-to-end commercial uh, uh, connectivity in place. So if you look at, for example, companies like uh, Deep Space Industries, for example, they want to produce resources in space to, or they want to harvest those resources from asteroids and to, to use those resources to provide, say, fuel, oxygen, water, uh, and then also to manufacture components in space. But it's going to cost a lot of money to get to that end capability. Well, if you have customers waiting for you at the end of that process, then it's obviously going to be easier to go out and raise the money. And United Launch Alliance, ULA, uh, they were out trying to encourage the development of in-space resources because the new upper stage that they're developing is designed to be refuelable and to be able to be reused. So it's in their interest to find somebody who can supply materials. Now, what I try to do is to look at it and say, okay, so... How can we use insurance to try to lock some of those things in? Can we guarantee that somebody is going to be able to supply the fuel that they need? Equally, does the person who's going to supply the fuel, can they get a contract to supply that fuel, which gives them future revenue, which they can then raise money against? Now, one of the intriguing things here is that Typically, we uh, the space industry has tended to think about uh, raising capital, whether it's the government providing money to develop something or whether it's equity investors coming in to fund a particular company. But if you can have future contracts that are going to give you revenue and they are insured such that if you don't deliver the product and get the revenue that you're going to get an insurance payment, then you have the ability to access the debt market. So for a lot of the startup companies, it, it can be appealing. It's different for every company, but it can be appealing if you don't have to convince 
uh, equity people, uh, providers who are going to take a stake in your company, if instead you can lock in contracts with this insurance product behind it and then go out and raise debt. So this is an important component in broadening how you construct the commercial uh, connectivity that's going to be important for an in-space economy. So I don't know if you plan on going over this later or now, but you just hit on something. So you're saying raising the, you set up a, you, you secure contracts at different levels. So you're, you're getting, you're looking for a customer. The customer says, I want to do business with you, but I'm a little bit hesitant because you've never done this before. That's right. we have a customer who says, I'm interested, uh, you've done certain things, but you've not done this. Or if we go with you compared to going with this other company, both of you are unknown in terms of viability. What makes yours different than the other? And how can how can you ensure or give us a little bit more, uh, less than the risk, it's not the word that I'd like to use, so that I can give you the contract. I mean, are these are the types of things you're talking about? Yes. Let's say we have company A and company B, and they're both competing to supply fuel to an in-orbit customer. And neither of them has developed all of the technologies that they need to, uh, to achieve that, and they haven't actually demonstrated things. Uh, company A has no insurance, so they go out and they... Uh, go to equity markets and they try to get people to um, uh, to go and uh, to uh, believe to in their in, product to finance, and, yeah. and yeah, to provide the equity. Company B is talking to the same customers and says, well, if you give us a contract for uh, provision of fuel in the future, uh, we will guarantee that we're going to deliver this by a particular date and if we can't deliver it, we will have insurance behind us that will pay out whatever necessary costs are involved. That's obviously then going to be a uh, sorry wrong company. It's going to be easier for company B to raise equity, but it also then opens the potential for company B to raise debt. So it makes it easier for them. It's an easier pathway to move forwards. Um, so. It's a tool for to enhancing your prospects of, of getting into business. Okay, I'm assuming we'll go over at one point these type of costs or what they might include to get there. Uh, I, yes, I naturally, insurance. Thinking... This is a, that's a good point. Insurance costs money. That's a fundamental point, and this is also perhaps more relevant for companies in an early phase where where. It, and I've had this conversation with a number of companies, if you can do something that helps them get customers and helps them get uh, investment, then that can be like gold to them. If it becomes a choice of an expensive insurance product and getting into business versus not getting into business, all of a sudden that expensive insurance product doesn't seem so expensive anymore. Um, so it's putting it all into context, but you're absolutely right that there is a, a real cost associated with insurance, which will vary. So let's say, 
so let's say I'm I'm sitting in front of you right now, Kirby, and we're we're setting up this space operations contract. We're looking to work together, and I see, we're talking about a a ten million U.S. deal that we're putting on the table. And I say, there's no way that I'm going to give you ten million dollars today because you haven't proven the concept. I mean, it sounds good. You're going to do space mining or fuel delivery or satellite. I, I you know I've got to see more. What would you come back to me and say? I mean, no, we can, we can do this, uh, but we'll give you insurance. So if we don't deliver, and you gave us the contract, and we estimate it would cost your business X, we're going to cover you for that expense. Is that what you're doing? I, I guess what you're doing as the supplier in question is you're saying to the customer, um, yes, we understand that we haven't proven our technology, but we are going to give you a guarantee that we will deliver. And if we don't deliver, we will cover you for uh, whatever costs there might be associated with our non-delivery, and we can do that with an insurance policy backing us up. So there is certain... Correct. You said it a lot more eloquently than I did. So, yes, yeah, so I now say, okay, so you're going to guarantee to me that if, in fact, something goes wrong, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be filled back again, brought back to normal, because you have a policy that helps me. That's and right. There's, now, for $10 million or $20 million, I mean, these are big numbers that people are talking about when they're talking about space. Is it going to be a million dollar policy for me to have to pay for this? I mean, how, how, do, how does cost go? Insurance always seems to be costly. How, how, can you give me some numbers, some figures of how to approach this so I'd have a better context of. of it's it's very means? much dependent on <clears throat> the individual scenario. And I'm not, not trying to dodge the question, I'll give you some examples. But let's take a relatively simple example. So. Company X has some new technology that they think is going to substantially lower the cost of building a, a small satellite, let's say. <clears throat> and so they want to get people to buy that technology, but it's still unproven. Now, you could guarantee the successful operation of this technology in the new satellite that's going to be built, and that might be one relatively simple thing. It might be a, a premium rate of 5% or 10%, something like that. So in your scenario with a $10 million contract, that insurance might cost you uh, $500,000 or, or a million dollars. So maybe the cost of the contract gets increased by that amount to cover the cost of the insurance. But that might be the difference between getting a contract and not getting a contract. If you take something that's a lot more uh, complex, and I've had this discussion with one company, it's, it's a scenario where they are trying to raise money and being able to offer that their mission, their, their intended mission is fully insured may be the difference, again, between raising money and not raising money. So there we're talking about a premium rate that might be as high as 30%. Uh, so in that scenario, you might be loading $3 million of premium onto the $10 million cost. Again, it's all a question of relative to the other alternatives. If you don't raise money, you don't get into business, you don't go anywhere. 
Um, so having an insurance product that eases that process, um, yes, it may seem objectively expensive, but um, in other senses, it's the, it's the oil that, that makes the deal happen, increases the oil. So. It's, you know, as I'm, I'm hearing the numbers, and it might sound insignificant on your end, yet I can understand why, going back to your first one, or first one or two points, is that the challenge is this cost of this burden is often very difficult for people to get their mind around. You added an element to the equation, which was we're going to, um, we're going to include it in the cost of the contract which people would then say, yeah, but now the contract's $11 million and that's a that's a bigger number. I don't know if we'll get the sale, so we're gonna leave that out. So it's almost a catch-22 where if you don't understand what you can, how you can utilize it, you're gonna miss the opportunity to do it. That's true, and in a lot of cases, a business would probably choose not to pass that cost on. It's maybe more in the scenario where you are raising money and choose to raise a bit more money uh, because it comes with certainty of contracts in the future. So that's probably uh, the more okay. likely scenario. Uh, and So you build it into your fundraising activities more than you build it into the customer facing. Yes, it, it can be both scenarios because there are scenarios where a customer finds your new technology so attractive financially, but there's a risk that comes with it. So if they can neutralize that risk and perhaps uh, diminish the commercial advantage a bit, it may still be the superior um, solution for them. So there are scenarios where the customer might like to have that insurance in place, but it's equally applicable to uh, the scenario where you're raising money, or whether that's debt or equity. Okay, so you had a number four, the insurance, the stakeholders, the staff. How does uh, covering that expanded version, what did you mean to cover here? Well, I think when you look at the stakeholders, uh, from my point of view, there's the management, there's the equity providers, the debt providers, the staff, and the customers. They all have some stake in seeing the business be successful. And so you have to sort of take all of those perspectives into place when you are thinking about the insurance program that you need behind you. And a lot of people may say, well, what have the staff got to do with it? Well, particularly in space, uh, where there might be a significant delay if there's a, a loss and you've got to build um, a new satellite or, or a, another handful of satellites if it's a constellation, sometimes you're at risk that key staff members might decide to leave the company and go off somewhere else. The same sort of thing applies with management. They may have uh, particular employment or remuneration arrangements where if the whole thing gets stalled for a couple of years because of a failure of some sort, they may uh, choose to move elsewhere or they may get poached by someone else. These are all considerations in how you structure your insurance arrangements. And, and obviously, debt and equity providers, it's it's quite obvious um, <clears throat> that they want to see a return of their money. In fact, I had a rather amusing uh, exchange at a small set conference where we were talking about some of these um, these issues. 
And uh, somebody in the audience said, but, um, you know, we just, we take their money. We don't, ex- if we have failures, you know, that's just part of the business. And um, I, I sort of replied saying, well, I haven't found very many equity investors or debt providers who don't actually expect to get their money back at the end of the project. Yeah, it's like, it's, and, it's almost like, is this off the record? <laughs> you should not be saying that out loud. It, it just, it was, uh, it was a fundamental um, uh, disconnect between the people who were spending the money and with the people who were providing the money. And you probably don't find very many scenarios where equity or debt providers don't protect themselves. But the more that you do to make them feel secure, the easier it is to get their money for your project and for your business. And again, that's a fundamental part of the thinking here in terms of don't just, this is a a long-term process. Everybody wants to see some success out of it. Everybody wants to make some money out of it. Everybody wants to get their money back at the end of it. Um, And the insurance is one of the fundamental means of providing that certainty throughout the lifespan of the business. It's almost as if, if you, I, I, I'm, I hate to use the word startup, but any business that's beginning, it doesn't have to be startup. Startup is a exponential growth technology-based uh, company. Any business that's starting up in the space industry should have in their deck, and let's call it a deck or their, their, their proposals, a portion on insurance that says these are the things we're going to do to mitigate risk for anybody who's investing in us, anybody who's buying from us, anybody who works with us. And it might be one of those order winners or forecasted winners that would allow an individual to be able to, uh, someone to say, hey, this is very different than what we've seen before. Well, I, I think a little bit of what you're suggesting there is also, well, maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but you, you ultimately are going to be serving customers. And those customers also suffer if you if you can't deliver the service that you've promised to them so having a uh, a well integrated continuous insurance program that that takes account of everybody's uh, interests uh, again smooths <clears throat> excuse me smooths the the process i was oh, talking I, absolutely one customer that i uh, one satellite company that i was speaking with recently um they not unreasonably understand that there are higher mortality rates with small satellites. But their view was almost like, oh, well, you know, if these satellites don't work, uh, doesn't really matter, we'll go on and we'll raise more money. And, and I couldn't help but feeling at the time, well, that's a somewhat cavalier attitude towards the, uh, the shareholders' uh, money. I'm sure the shareholders are expecting the satellites to work and that if they don't, they haven't just blown away their money and that there is a plan uh, to continue moving forwards. Now, I think that's it's one of the interesting changes that has come with the small sat revolution is that entities, uh, small to medium companies, universities, a whole lot of different entrepreneurial type parties are coming into the industry and they think differently to say a big aerospace company or a big communications company. 
Um, they like to be more nimble, but they they do think differently. They accept a different level of risk. And I think there's also the risk in that of a disconnect between um, the shareholders, uh, the equity providers, I should say, and uh, and the process of development of the system. Oh, d- definitely, there's going. We're going to see an evolution because, or transformation, whatever the terminology is. If you, for for me, I used to look at satellites as ten million dollars and these big behemoth machines. And now you're seeing places like Planet Labs or La- uh, Planet that are calling themselves now, where you could put up a satellite for eighty thousand. The new generation of individuals working in the industry say, "Well, it's only eighty thousand. It's nothing." compared to the other. However, 80,000 to a company is 80,000. And it's still loss of money and revenue or time or effort that they needed to put into it. And you might be shipping out four or five of them. There's a definite, we're going to see a migration of an understanding of cost. And the reason I bring that up, I remember starting our businesses way back when the time when uh, Next Day Air became important. And I remember once a package did not arrive on time. And the lady said, well, we'll take care of you on this. And I was like, well, how are you going to take care of me on this? There's a contract in there for a few hundred thousand U.S. dollars. And she said, oh, no, no, what we do is we give you your money back on the shipment of the package. <laughs> so we got back $12 or $15 or $18, whatever it may be. And I said, but that doesn't compensate me for you're not delivering. And today uh, we... We look at the world differently, and as time went on, next day or is just considered next day. It almost every time gets there. So I think today's new generation of space enthusiasts and space companies are going to have a very different perspective as compared to those who were buying satellites that were you know, ten million dollars uh, just a few decades ago. And at another extreme to that uh, has been the influx of the very rich, the billionaires who have been funding this kind of fundamental transformation of new space and they they have the luxury of being able to uh, to fund things differently to what traditional commercial companies have to deal yeah. with and uh, it, it's an it's an evolving world but I think it's quite clear that to have a truly sustainable space economy as soon as possible um, there are innovative tools here that we can use to try to make it happen sooner rather than later. And that thinking needs to keep evolving. Um, as we're saying here, there's a number of different directions that commercial space is going in. One is uh, into uh, the Earth-Moon uh, scenario. Then there is also the plethora of new small satellite solutions that are coming up. We're also seeing a whole range of new small launch vehicles that are being developed. And that transforms the nature of the insurance product in itself because in the past we were talking about, say, a three or a $400 million sum insured for a communication satellite. Now we might be talking about a handful of millions, say $5 or $10 million, uh, for a- an individual launch. Let's take the Rocket Labs Electron, for example. I believe the touted price mm-hmm. is $5 million for a launch. In the past, a big insurance risk would go into the global marketplace where there might be, say, $700 million of insurance capacity. 
Well, that becomes rather ridiculous um, when you're talking about, say, a $5 million or a $10 million risk. The, yeah. the global market would be taking, uh, you know, such infinitesimally small uh, roles in each risk that it just wouldn't be worth their time. So there are going to be changes that are occurring out there in, in who does what in the insurance world, who's insuring these small satellites versus who's insuring the big satellites, but then we take the next step beyond that, which is who is going to insure maybe uh, multi-hundred million dollar or billion dollar space platforms, who's going to insure asteroid mining equipment, who's going to insure lunar uh, base operations. These are different types of insurance than exist at the moment. Now, it's all in space, but the average space underwriter knows about satellites or they know about launch vehicles but do they know about uh, building habitats do they know about right. earth moving equipment or pardon that lunar move, earth lunar yeah. regular moving equipment um, these are new fields that that have to be developed and they need to be developed pretty soon because they need to be in place for when those commercial operations take place so in terms so let's jump that back to the the list that, that you've got are there any, I'm looking at the financial tools for startups, and let's just look at, this is called financial tools. Are there any words, technology, tools, things that I should know so that if I'm talking to somebody, I can be intelligent in the application of talking to an insurance person, or I can be intelligent about uh, what I ask? Uh, are there any tools that I should know about, words that I should know about, things that I should know about? I think when you look at the... the uh fairly typical insurance, the thing that you always have to be on your toes about is what are the consequences to the business if something happens? For example, the loss of a satellite. There are many more things than most people think about that are consequences. And so that's the most fundamental thing, to, to keep that in your mind about what's going to happen to my business what are all the implications to my business of problem X occurring? So that's your kind of typical insurance. The, the financial tool perspective, that's about what, do I, what can I do to de-risk my business so that other people will support me, whether it is customers signing up earlier than they might otherwise do, whether it is equity investors. And, and let me give you another sort of dimension here when we talk about it from a, a financial tool point of view. Oftentimes when an equity invest, well, pretty much always when an equity investor puts their money in, they are expecting the use of that money to lead to an increase in the valuation of the company and hence a significant return on their investment. So rather than simply viewing what's it going to cost to replace my satellite, you want to think about what do I need to do to guarantee that I reach that milestone that will represent an increase in the value of the company and hence the value of the shareholders' funds or the equity providers' funds. And so that's a kind of milestone-based uh, insurance rather than a more typical uh, mission type insurance so to me when you look at it as a financial tool it's about what can I do 
to get my business going, what can I do to help get that money in the door or contracts on the table? The <clears throat> I'm going to ask you after we're done with the interview, so I'll ask you, I was going to ask you afterwards what we should do it before. Is there a possibility of putting together a, a list of types of milestones that people could be looking at and types of questions that people could be asking that are a little bit more precise because I, I'm following you and I understand, yet I'm not in your your industry at all. So I'm saying to myself, okay, what are these actual milestones I'd be looking at in the space industry? Or, or as you're talking about launch, you're talking about asteroid mining, you're talking about large-scale projects. I'm trying to think of what tools I can give other individuals around the world who really have no clue even where to start here. I know you can call your local insurance company person, but they're not going to be able to answer the questions. And we would like to accelerate the space-based ecosystem. The only way to do that is if individuals know that there is something like this out there, like our Project Moon on Classification System, that can help them to very quickly understand where we need to be and very quickly be able to make those next best decisions. So I'd, I'm going to ask you to think about potentially helping us to give some of that on our... Uh, uh, as a tool for people to take away from this. Uh, in summary, what uh, what should someone take away? I mean, what's the, the big areas of concentration that you're seeing coming up and that you sh they should take away from what you've said? I think the most fundamental thing is the sense of looking at insurance from the different perspective. I think most people will eventually get to insurance at some point, they kind of understand that they need it at some points. First of all, they should look at it early, but most people will eventually look at it. My fundamental point, I think, is think about it in terms of, of how you can use insurance to secure the start for your business. rather than. Well, I, but not everybody's going to be start. So that becomes, let's say, a caterpillar gets into the business today. You know, Caterpillar wants to be involved in space-backed activities, or IKEA is talking about space. Uh, we're t I believe they're talking about space. I thought something the other day about uh, IKEA engaged in um, designing f living quarters for living in space. How, let's look at the whole ecosystem. We've got large businesses, small businesses, not just starting. How do they approach this so that they can understand it? So I understand that insurance is important. But on a bigger scale takeaway, can you give me maybe a, a cover a larger spectrum? I don't know if I said that well, right. Well, I think everybody, early stage businesses and early stage projects, well, not just early, but in most phases, they are looking for either money or they are looking for customers. So my fundamental uh, suggestion to people is when you are thinking about these things, remember that you can use insurance to help secure some of these things. And okay. that the more that you the more certainty that you can bring to your project, the easier it is going to be to secure either funding or to secure those customers. So the insurance is elementally about bringing some certainty, security to the business. 
but think about it in terms of securing finance and securing customers rather than just repaying uh, losses that you might be suffering if there is a failure along the way. It's, it's a, and that's a huge shift. I had not thought about it in that way. Yes, and, and <laughs> as I say, if you, if you go along to a, a barbecue and you say that you're in insurance, you're probably not going to get many people <laughs> talking to you for the rest of the time. Uh, so it's naturally not the, the most exciting subject, yet it can be fundamentally transforming in helping to get particularly businesses and projects that are viewed as higher risk. And, and we're talking about not just higher technical risk with space, but we're talking about creating a space economy. And that doesn't really exist at the moment. So that's riskier in the eyes of investors and, and future customers. So anything that we can do to bring down those risk levels and perception of risk levels, that's quite fundamental to making what we're after, an in-orbit economy between the Earth and the Moon, we need to do something to minimize that risk. So a large corporation, uh, someone who's been around multi-billion or multi-million dollar organization, how would they look at this differently as they're developing new technologies for uh, anything within Mirth, Moon and Earth activity? How would they do it differently? Well, fundamental shift within the space industry has been from government-funded uh, development and contracting to a commercially-based, the more commercially-based system. And in a more commercially-based system, the, the companies accept a certain degree of uh, commercial risk, of market risk, um, maybe technology development risk. And so you are transforming transferring some of that risk into the insurance domain. That's one thing that you're doing. And that's different from the past. You know, you would, the government would fund it, you would develop the technology, and you would get to an end point where you could provide whatever service uh, was required. Now we are seeing an array of different companies, different types of company, from small to wealthy individuals to more conventional commercial entities doing things. So we are already seeing the big aerospace companies trying to uh, reinvent the way they do things, um, different contracting processes, uh, but also this willingness to look at new commercial mechanisms that make this all work. And so I have had this discussion with at least one large company about this notion of, well, let's try to use insurance to, to bridge some of these gaps. And I think they are open to that. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, you're probably going to see these mechanisms being used by the newer commercial space entities rather than the large ones. But that change is going to be taking place. I, I have little doubt of that. Yeah, <clears throat> what comes to mind is a loss <clears throat> excuse me, of the Facebook uh, satellite, and that's you know, to uh, a public company and well, both public companies in, in the situation, but they're they're driven in a completely different manner than you would say a Cisco would be, and the way in which their 
their visibility, their uh, approach to market is, is such a different type of philosophy. So it's a, it's an interesting concept, this whole thing about using insurance. And I know that last year you opened up my mind to the possibilities of using insurance in a different way. And now what I'm trying to do is rewire myself to say, let's look at insurance not as insurance, but as a way to keep people whole, organizations whole. So how, do, how can you leverage it instead of using it as a risk mitigation tool? And it seems to be more our history is you buy insurance for someone dying. You buy insurance for your car being damaged. Instead of saying you're buying insurance for the purposes of being able to get to work, to be able to facilitate uh, delivery of product to your customers because that truck is now out of commission. And that mind shift, I don't know how easy it'll it'll move, but it sounds like an an interesting transition. I think that as more companies have their mind open to that, they will see other companies doing it and then they'll start to follow that trend and line of thinking. So, uh, and, and, and Kirby, you're right on the edge. You're the guy. You're the man <laughs> who's making this whole thing happen. <laughs> well, I've always, as a space advocate, I've always wanted to see uh, the future that I imagined coming to pass sooner than later. And so anything I can do to make that happen, that's exciting for me. It's amazing how many people that I've met who uh, who are of a certain generation have said that their real desire is to get into space. It's it's not the same economic desire that people believe, and they just want to see it happen. They they would love to see this entire ecosystem explode into explode's a bad word, but explode into something valuable for um, uh, I'm going to say all species on Earth, not just mankind. So, Kirby, thank you very much. I know we've gone back and forth on making this interview work. Uh, we had a technolo- technological issue in the beginning, then we had a flu issue. But I am uh, not. But I am extremely happy that you were able to make it today and and share some of your thoughts with us. And I was delighted to be a part of it. Thank you very much, David. Well, so very quickly for those of you who don't know about Project Moon Hut, you can go to our website and take a look at some of the uh, activities we've gone through over the years as well as how you can facilitate or help in making the progress move forward, either working with Project Moon Hut or through engaging in some type of space activity. And we cover everything from uh, government coordination to uh, community engagement to alliance development and much, much more. So it's a full suite of opportunities for anybody who has any interest in uh, space-based development. So you can go to projectmoonhut.org and view that content. There will also, you will also see that there's a sign up for f- our future space-related database. We're working on artificial intelligence, computational social science, um, machine learning type technology uh, for the ecosystem of space. And we'd love for you to be able to sign up. We're not going to spam you, so that could be done while you're on the website. You can also go to Facebook, uh, forward slash Project Moon Hut. And you can put a like in there. It'll keep you posted on some of the activities that we're working on. And lastly, there is the connection with Twitter. So you can go to at Project Moon Hut. So we're in all or uh, many of the social environments for you to be able to connect with us. Uh, For everybody, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, Kirby, again, once, thank you very much for the time. My pleasure. And I'm David Goldsmith. Thank you for listening.